This is Without Compromise, a show that explores what happens when you won't settle for anything less than your crazy ideas. We'll talk to athletes, founders, adventurers, and entrepreneurs of all kinds about living without compromise. I'm your host, Mason Gravely. Welcome to the show. We're programmed for survival, so our instinct is to give up on these situations, to move away from them. I thought if I didn't sign up for that race, that I was just going to disappear. It doesn't have to be these big, huge things that everyone thinks you need to do to make a difference. Here at Athletic Brewing, we contribute up to $2 million annually to protect and restore local trails through what we call our Two for the Trails program. You may have known that, you, you may have not, that might be news to you, but we've been doing this for a handful of years and it has added up to tons, literally hundreds of projects and organizations we've worked with, and I guarantee we've done something in your backyard. We, I, I, I almost guarantee that everybody listening to this, within one to two hours of where you are, we've probably contributed to a trail or trail systems or an organization helping with initiatives into outdoor access near you. And what's cool is t- today's episode's with one of the directors of one of the organizations that was recently a recipient of our Two for the Trails dollars. It's Miri Hardy with Friends of Mayaka River. And I wanted to do this episode because it was near me and it provided us this rare opportunity to do an in-person interview with a place that I personally love and where our Two for the Trails dollars are contributing. And so... Miri's going to tell us about her story, how she even got into this. And it's so much more about, hey, tell us about where the dollars are going. But tell us how you started taking action as a person, because that's what this whole program is about. And that's what Athletic Brewing is about. Folks who see a need, take action and pursue it without compromise. And Miri is one of those people. So more details to come on the project itself. We're going to be helping them with trail signs and signage for navigation all throughout the backcountry of their park. And we're going to really just geek out on Florida because we're both there and we love it. And just keep in mind, this is one story. This is one trail system. This is one park of the hundreds that are impacted with R2 for the Trails program. So congrats to everybody that was awarded. And if you want to learn more, go to the show notes, go to our website, and just follow along so you get updates about this program and the huge impacts that it has. Mary Hardy, welcome to Without Compromise. Thank you. Where where are we right now? Tell us a little <laughs> bit about the setting. We, you and I have been talking for at least <laughs> half an hour before we recorded, but where, where are we, if you could describe it? We are at Mayaka River State Park in Sarasota, Florida, and we are sat behind one of the historic cabins that were built by the CCC, which is an acronym. I know you love acronyms. It's a, <laughs> uh, an acronym for the Civilian Conservation Corps. Uh, and they built these cabins when they built the entire park in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. And we are surrounded by live oaks and palm trees and lots and lots and lots of birds and we just had a barred owl fly by and it is magnificent it is a beautiful day a win- a, a cold winter day <laughs> and you're in a t-shirt um i i'm the one that's dressed for winter and it's not even going to be cold it's probably 85 today or it will be um mayaka river state park this place is i never knew about this growing up i don't know why i grew up mm. about an hour and a half from here and I had never been here until 
moving back to Florida. Mm. But what I've learned in this short amount of time is how special this place is and how special it is to people who know a lot about Florida. This is at the top of their list as a, as a place that just has some sort of energy around it that's unique. I don't know if it's this ancient feeling. It's It feels different here. The word Serengeti is used mm. a lot. Mm-hmm. What was mm-hmm. your, how did you learn about this place? How did you get started here? I learned about this place when I was a tourist coming through Florida. We visited Sarasota, and it was one of the things that you do when you visit Sarasota. You go check out Mayaka River State Park. So came here and saw the American alligators and eventually ended up moving to Sarasota and didn't come back for a very, very long time because... It was that place, you know, very, very far away. It's, you know, 17 miles and it's a day trip and just, yeah. So when family came to visit, you know, you loaded up the car and you went out to Mayaka River State Park to show them the American alligators. But that was kind of it. Yeah. I I guess in that area, it's like, well, if I'm going to do anything outside, the beaches, I'm going to go to the beach. Yes. Which is great. I love the ocean. I love the, the, the beach. But... I don't think people realize what's here. Yeah. They don't realize the, the the history that's here and just kind of just how different it is. When did it or how did it grab a hold of you? Uh, it's really funny that you're talking about the beaches because that is actually where my connection to Wild Florida began on the beaches of Sarasota. Um, I'm not from here and I did not grow up here. I am not what I would consider an outdoorsy type person. (laughs) So the beaches were definitely a draw to moving to Sarasota. And uh, I was at a point in my life that I was on a um, crossroads professionally and personally, and I just happened to be spending a lot of time on Siesta Beach. And this was back in 2016. And complete fluke that year there was an incredible tidal pool on the beach north of the public beach I showed up one morning for my you know walk and walk and think and I saw something pink I was like what 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 is that and you know typical I was like oh it's a flamingo (laughs) and and I looked at it and I pulled out my phone and I took a shot and I kind of zoomed in I was like yeah no that even I knew it wasn't a flamingo Knew nothing about birds at that time, but I knew it wasn't a flamingo, and, and I looked it, it up. It was a pink bird. And it was a pink bird. It was okay. a roseate spoonbill. The next time I came to the beach, that same tidal pool had, and I, again, did not know at the time, I, I since learned, there were wood storks and every single type of heron you could imagine. And it was just amazing. I've spoken to other people who are into bird sense and everyone remembers that year as this crazy year when there was all this stuff happening there. And it was very unusual, but it was very interesting. And so that kind of got me thinking about birds. And one day I was walking down the beach and I noticed an area that had some signs and some ropes And there were some folks there with T-shirts that said Audubon on them. And they beckoned me over and they said, hey, have you ever seen a a snowy plover chick before? And I said, well, I've never seen a snowy plover before. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I was like, but but yeah, chick, yeah, show me. 
the cutest thing you've ever seen. You know, just a, a, a little cotton ball on matchstick legs running around like a little banshee. And I started learning about snowy plovers and I learned that they're a state threatened shore nesting bird and they have a lot of problems on the beaches. And there you have these two little cotton balls running around feeding themselves, which is what they do immediately. And the dad, because the dad is usually the one that sticks around um, to wash over them, is trying to keep them safe. And over the next couple of weeks, it was all about just learning, 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 learning about that. And I also discovered my camera at that point in time. I wasn't really photographing much. Um, started bringing my camera to the beach and photographing these little chicks and watching over them. And amazingly, they made it through the, the you know, close to four weeks of running around, not able to fly, completely defenseless. And they learned to fly. They fledged. So they were able to, to fly away. Amazingly, this is 2016. That was the very last time that we had a successful fledging of snowy plovers on our Sarasota County beaches, 2016. Wow. I didn't know that at the time. I just knew, wow, this is really, really interesting. And hey, you know, maybe I can help out. So then the next season I volunteered. I uh, became a volunteer for Audubon, Florida as a beach steward. And I would, you know, I was learning everything I could about shore nesting birds and the threats that they face. I did that on my weekends. Because you worked. Because I worked. The time I was working as a full-time ceramic artist, which had been a transition um, that I made a mm, good number of years ago. I had been working. Um, I started off in academia, moved into marketing, brand consulting, and then became a ceramic artist. So, yeah. What a variety! <laughs> and then you're just like falling in love with birds on the beach. Yeah. If you don't mind me asking, where where did you where did you come from, and where did you grow up? I grew up in Boston until the age of six. When I was six, my family moved to Israel, and I was there until the age of 22. So really, you know, most of my growing up was done in Israel. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people don't. <laughs> <laughs> what what are what brought you down here? A missing missing stop. Met a guy, moved to England. Yeah, it we got married. Yeah, <laughs> it happens. We, we we lived there, and um, for a change of lifestyle, we decided to move to Puerto Rico, and we lived there for eight years, and that's when I started doing the pottery. Yeah. And um, after we were kind of ready to move on from that, the weather, yeah. So we were looking for a place that had a bit more infrastructure, some arts, beaches, mm -hmm. which is how we ended up in Sarasota. Wow. So you, you never imagined you'd, you'd be in the swamps trekking through no <laughs> no 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 that, that people about absolutely alligators. not that that was that was not on my radar. But you know, when, once I started getting into the birds, and learning about that and um, the educator in me. I think, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. by nature, I'm an educator and a storyteller. So uh, the, the strong urge to help people understand and to try to make a difference kind of kicked in for me. And again, as I mentioned, I was, you know, I 
kind of felt like, okay, this, um, the pottery career was kind of coming to an end and I was trying to figure out what the next step for me was. And I wasn't sure. This was an interesting avenue to pursue. Unfortunately, I got quickly frustrated on the beaches because, you know, once you see how big the issues are, you know, I, I started learning. I learned all the birds, but I also learned about habitat fragmentation and habitat degradation and just all the challenges. And after a bunch of extremely frustrating shifts of trying to get people to you know, understand and maybe change their ways, I decided, you know, maybe I need to, you know, find find a place where I can have more impact. So I found a local wildlife, specifically bird um, facility where they rescue and save our seabirds is an amazing facility in Sarasota. Mm -hmm. They rescue birds, they rehabilitate them, and they also have what they call a living museum, birds that cannot be released back into the wild because they wouldn't be able to survive in the wild. They've got injuries that, you know, they can't feed themselves or they can't fly. Um, their house there, and it's an opportunity for the public to come in and learn about the birds. Yeah. So I started volunteering there, and I told people stories about the birds, and again, things that they could do to, you know, help support our wildlife. That was great, and then it was summer, and they had no schools coming in, and the guy who was running the place at the time said to me, hey, you know, I got a project for you to do over the summer if you're interested. And I was like, yeah, tell me more. He said, you know, we want to design a playground. Have you ever designed a playground before? And I was like, well, no, but that sounds super cool. Yeah, you want to make it out of pottery? I can do that. <laughs> yeah, so, so basically the, 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 the brief was, you know, we want a bird-themed playground. Go. Yeah, that is not what I expected you to say. Yeah, <laughs> when yeah. You said project. Yeah, no, it wasn't what I was expecting either. <laughs> so you know, I went through a crash course in playground design. Yeah. I discovered a lot of companies that are doing really amazing work. Came up with a concept for it was a bird-themed playground with three different zones, and one of the zones was called Skimmer Sands, and it had a big, massive black skimmer that you could climb into it had chicks and it had predators <laughs> and it, it it was pretty amazing and i got to to work with a company out of denmark called munstrom they do amazing amazing work wow uh and then COVID hit <laughs> oh gosh that's the timing right around okay yeah. so now your playground is empty well, the playground never got designed because the playground was kind of hinging on a capital campaign, which got frozen, and the guy that I was working with decided to retire early, so he left. So, <laughs> But meanwhile, COVID hit. COVID hit, and what happened during COVID is I started spending a lot of time outside. Mm-hmm. And specifically, um, actually before COVID, I had started spending more time at Mayaka because one day I decided to bring my bike here hmm. and that changed everything. And was that, so you so you said you hadn't come back in a while and you, so did COVID kind of get you kick-started back to, to coming back out here then or were you... I got kickstarted earlier. I got kickstarted earlier. Um, it was one of those random things I was 
you know, just on Facebook and you know how Facebook makes those suggestions like your friend so-and-so is interested in such and yeah. such event. Yeah. So it was something like that and it was, you know, a certain hike and it sounded cool. So I decided to just go. Yeah. And I went and I was like, I was like, that that really isn't that far. Um, and I also discovered that I really don't like guided hikes. Hmm. So I decided to, you know, maybe just try to explore on my own. That's when things changed. Was that was that scary or was that exciting or was that natural for you? It was not natural for me. It was not it was not natural for me. So um, one of the hikes that I went to, uh, I asked the guide for you know just recommendations. I was like, you know, I've explored a lot of the park, mm-hmm. your your typical trails. You know, where would you? If, yeah, the area along the roads. Yeah, and, uh, some of the yeah, accessible yeah. observation yeah. tower. A, exactly. A lot, but yeah. There's a lot of the park you're not seeing. Exactly. He's like, so So I asked for his recommendation for an off-the-beaten track, trail, that would be, you know, with lots of birds. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, so he made a recommendation. I walked it. And no, it wasn't. It was, it was a bit scary. It was a mm-hmm. bit scary. But I did it. I fell in love. You know, there, there was just so much to see, and it was constantly changing and... It was then that I also discovered just walking into a hammock, which again is something that didn't come first nature to me. And, you know, it's funny because now I talk to a lot of people who visit the park and, you know, we talk about experiencing Mayaka and what that really means. And a lot of people feel like you're supposed to stay on the trail. And in many cases, yes, you know, for safety and if you're in an air, a sensitive area yeah. you know you don't want to go off and trample and destroy but so much of this park is intended to be explored i mean we're we're sitting in an area right now that is completely wild and natural mm-hmm. you know there's there's not a paved path there's not intended to be a paved path and i think for me the biggest mind shift was understanding that it's it's okay to go off your beaten path and you know in many ways it was it was a reflection of what what was going on in my own life i think personally that you know there wasn't a clear there wasn't a clear path i didn't know where i was going i didn't know you know what what the next step was and it suddenly was okay it was suddenly okay to listen and stop and you know like we saw that barred owl you know, I can't tell you how many times I'd be walking along and suddenly you see something. You're like, oh, what's that? It's like, oh, my God, that's, is that the river? So I'm on the trail and the river's over there to my right. I'm going to go to the right. Yeah, and check it out. And I, Yeah, so then it's figuring out, okay, how, how do I get there? And it's a bit messy on the way, you know, and, and being comfortable stepping into the mess and being careful. And, mm-hmm. and it is, it's empowering Mm-hmm. It's exciting. It's invigorating. And it's really funny because I, I caught up with the guy who gave me that trail recommendation sometime later. You know, I thanked him. I was like, oh, my God, that's that's now my favorite place to go and walk. And and he said, yeah, you know, I go there, but, you know, I usually don't see much wildlife. He, he, what? You, you don't see wildlife? I was like, where do you go? He's like, well, I walk on the trail. I was like, well, <laughs> did, uh, what, what about that, that the entire expanse 
you know, to your right and to the left where the hammocks are, where, you know, the deer are, where the birds are in the trees and by the water and to each the, their own. Yeah. And this is an interesting park, you know, because a lot of parks, they do want you to stay on trail and because it is sensitive yeah. or it, uh, you know, there's so many people here. Here, it's interesting. There's not a lot of people in this backcountry and a lot of these places are underwater a lot of the year yes. anyway, that it's almost less damaging. Um there's less impact by exploring off trail, and there's so much of it that exactly. Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, we're looking at this hammock right here. There's not a blade of grass where it's just a, a pile of palmetto branches yeah. and limbs and leaves. That yeah, I would argue, you know, lot, for the most part, it's wise to stay on trail. But there is places here that yeah. not encourage, but it's uh, it's inviting. Yes, definitely inviting. Yes, um, yeah. That's uh. So did did the environment it seems like it didn't draw you in or maybe you weren't looking for that in these other places you lived. What was it about here? Cause you, it sounds, I mean, those are beautiful places as well. Mm. You know, the Northeast, mm. uh, Puerto Rico, mm -hmm. Israel, the UK. I mean, those are wonderful places. Mm. Why, why explore that side of things here? I think it's, I think it's timing. I think it's, yeah, I, I, where I am in my life, you know, what, what I was open to, you know, the being at a point in my life where I wanted to experience something different, um, to do things differently, uh, to have an impact. And I think, again, the getting involved at Mayaka was a very slow, gradual process for me. So I started visiting the park much more in 2019. So that's the year before COVID. And I mentioned, you know, one day I just decided to throw my bike into my car, which again was not something I would usually do, but I did it. And it just opened a whole other world of being ex able to explore a beautiful natural space from the seat of your bicycle. And I know I don't need to tell you how different it is to, to be on a bike, but you know, suddenly you're biking and you're hearing and you're smelling and you're not in this metal box. And that was really, really different. So that, that kind of really drew me in. Uh, at the time, I was just riding a hybrid bike, so it did limit where I could go, and that changed with COVID. But once I started exploring, uh, and I know we, we share a love for maps, uh, I had, I had the, the local hiking and biking map, and there were things that I wanted to go find. You know, I'd, I'd look at the map and be like, okay, I'm going to go over there or I'm going to go over there. And in the glossary, there were certain areas that were highlighted as, you know, there's historical artifacts. I was like, oh, I got to yeah. go find those. So I started learning about the history of the place. And that is a whole other level of fascination. Hmm. Um, because, like how this park came to be. Well, even before that. Like, even oh, even like before ancient. that, um, yeah. so native, native history. Well, you could go to native history. There's really not that much information about that because, again, if you think about it, the Mayaka River Valley was very much shaped by water and fire, and as as a rain-fed river, this area in the in the summer. It floods. That's just mm -hmm. what it does. That is so that is don't normal. Stick around. Exactly. Long. So so if you're you're you know you're hunter gatherer 
type of civilization, you're not going to settle in a place that floods. Yeah. Right? I, yeah. <laughs> Unlike us. Unlike us. You have built cabins right here. Yeah, who built cabins have right to raise here. Them off the ground. Yeah. By the way, you've had a squirrel behind you for like 20 minutes oh back my there. Yeah, just see it down there feeding. It's Oh, yeah. It's just hanging out. I've been glancing down to see how close they, uh, that'll get. But all yeah. kinds of stuff going on. Yeah. It's a lot to look around at. So, so the bike opened up. The bike opened Kind up. of the backcountry here for you. Because it is a lot. There is a lot outside the, you know, the, the road goes really just in one corner of the park. There's so much out there. And I've actually never been to most of that. Um, backcountry sites and whatnot. But you live, you live over near the water in Sarasota. What, 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 what would you say is the understanding over on that side of town of what's going on out here? Did you start to see that there was a lack of understanding? Basically, absolutely. There, there is a lack of understanding, and it's interesting because on the one hand, you have a lack of understanding of what's happening in the park and the challenges that the park faces. On the other hand, and this is where the opportunity lies, you have people, like you mentioned, who just have these really, really strong and very deep connections to this place. Just this morning, I bumped into um, a person who was telling me they'd been coming to the park for 50 years. And they really wanted, people want to share that joy and that love and that connection. So how do you how do you help people understand about this place and how do you perhaps build a community of all the people who deeply love this particular place you know this particular place with the goal of helping protect this place because again yes this is it's a Florida state park it is protected as such but it is under threat like everything, you know, all wild Florida is under threat and development is encroaching on the park and that is affecting how the ecosystems here can be managed. Obviously, it's having an impact on wildlife in the area. So, so yeah, so that was kind of how I first perhaps got involved um, with the organization that I'm now working with, which is Friends of Mayaka River. But it all began, again, it began with the biking because I was biking out in the backcountry with a buddy and this guy biked by. He wasn't in uniform. I didn't realize he was a park ranger. He said, hey, have you guys seen the pine lilies? I had read about pine lilies because I had seen a red flower and I didn't know what it was. So I looked it up and I was like, yep, we saw the pine lilies. And then a week later, bumped into that same guy, this time in uniform, and kind of made the connection that we had seen each other in the backcountry, and we had talked about the pine lilies. And I said to him, hey, by the way, your, your biking map really isn't that great. It really could use some work. And he said, you're the pine, pine lily lady. <laughs> I was like, yeah. So I guess that, that, that got me some, you know, the yeah, backcountry creed. Yeah, that's right. That's um, right. He said, well, you know, interestingly enough, I am very passionate about biking. And how about you help out and make it better? Oh, 
Yeah. All right. Yeah, put put your money where exactly, your mouth is. Exactly, lady. Yeah, says. that's. Oh, well, then do it. <laughs> then do it. Help out. And I was like, all right. So started talking with Ranger Zach about what we could do to make it better. And again, this is COVID. Because you're using it, and you're I'm trying to it. find new places. To I'm trying to find new places. Exactly. Huh, and is... I realize that there's there's some issues here with this here map. Um, now again, putting things into context of the time, this is COVID. Um, many of us discovered biking, you know, and what was happening in the park that is really really interesting. People were pulling these bikes out of the garage where they'd been sat for many many years and throwing them in the cars and showing up at the park and discovering that they didn't have any air in the tires. And so they'd they'd go over to the ranger station and ask for a pump. And the poor ranger's like, well, we, we don't have pumps. <laughs> um, so an ask was put to Friends of Mayaka River, which is a nonprofit organization that supports the park. You know, maybe we can put in a bike service center. Mm-hmm. You know, just one of those nifty little things with some tools and a pump. And wouldn't that be great? And so this is all happening, and I'm talking to Ranger Zach about, you know, this this station that's going to be installed um, suitably during National Bike Month, which is May. And he said, well, maybe maybe we can maybe we can do like a grand opening, and that would be nice. And I said, why don't we do an event? Let's do a bike event. Let's let's put together trails and it can be self-guided. Again, this is COVID, but you know, it's all outdoors and we can do a scavenger hunt. Wouldn't that be fun? And we'll get the friends to pay for it. And he said, "Oh, we can do that." I was like, "Well, I don't know. Let's ask." <laughs> and we did it. We did it. Um, you know, I basically took this map. I simplified it. And put together some suggested routes with distances and details about the trail conditions and some points of interest and a fun little scavenger hunt. And what were you hunting? Like natural things. Exactly. You, you yeah. Putting, you know, no, like no, 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 no. Oh, yeah. We were there. not. No, no. So it was things like, you know, and, and it was a photo scavenger hunt, which was kind of fun. So people had to find the things and take a photo and then post it on Facebook. And we had a, you know, little lottery for for fun prizes but things like yeah a snag or a magical mayaka moment you know just just interesting ways for people to again just connect with the place and the event was a great success we had families show up we had friends group of friends showed up we even had a meetup group show up to to do this And interestingly enough, this was something very, very new for the organization because doing these kind of events was not really something that was happening. And the board participated and supported and really enjoyed it. There was this sense of, wow, this is, we're making a really nice impact here on the community and we're drawing them in. And we're supporting the park through this new way for us. And there was the desire to keep on going and to explore more. So we tried other things too. Started doing more. Started doing more. Started doing social media, which was huge. Yeah. Because there was, and new. It was new. And and you're doing a lot of this. I did all of it. Wow. And, And now you're the executive director of Friends of Mayaka River. 
And it sounds like a big part of that was taking action, putting connecting dots. Um, and, and tell me more about, because this wasn't your background. Clearly, you just told us that um, what, what your background was. You were you 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 set down some pottery to do this. You know, it was not connected at all. Well, here's the interesting thing, Mason. It is and it isn't because you know I started off as as a teacher. I mean, as uh, my training is in social psychology, so I I taught in academia for a couple of years and then I shifted into brand consulting and marketing. The organization was very much in need of, uh, you know, just kind of a, a change in focus of, of who we are and what we're trying to do in support of the park. So it was, in many ways, a, a branding exercise. You know, this, this is who we are. This is how we're going to talk about ourselves. And this is how we're going to raise money. Because the bottom line is, up until I showed up and for a good long while after I showed up, the organization has historically always been an all-volunteer organization. So when you start thinking about bringing in someone that you actually have to pay, it completely changes the game. So how do you, how do you continue to do your mission, which is to support the park and help the park be able to do things that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do, um, but also perhaps expand that you know go beyond that you know um things we were talking about reaching the community connecting the community advocating for the park um i'll give you a for example we now have a you know quite substantial social media following and a lot of people really really invested in the content lots of super fans and all all, all that good stuff when something comes along where where we want to advocate to the benefit of the park in our region, you know, for example, the Everglades to Golf Conservation Area. Yeah, which right? which Mayaka sits within. It sits within. It's probably we were talking about this before recording. It's probably going to be one of the bigger community entrance points to this mm -hmm. area or mm -hmm. places that you can see the value of what we're trying to protect? Like, mm -hmm. oh, you, why do we want to protect this region of the state? Well, come to Mayaka mm -hmm. and see a sliver of that, you know, a mm -hmm. piece of that pie and why it's mm -hmm. so great. Mm -hmm. And so just expand this across that entire region and you're getting a glimpse of, of the why. So, yes. You know what I mean? This is one of the places to experience what they're trying to do. Yes. The other thing is, um, this is also an area that is surrounded by lands that are under high threat of development, which, again, this is one of, one of, one of the purposes of the, the proposal is intended to come in while we can still do something about it. So it's high priority, high threat. So, yeah, but, but again, being able to reach out to our community and say, hey, folks, we need your support. I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, people are like, well, who are you? Exactly right. <laughs> well, no, you don't have to go 15, 20 years ago. I mean, you, all, you, okay. you go back two years I was ago. Being <laughs> yeah, no, you go, back, you go back two years ago. You know how it is on social media. You can't just suddenly do a post after not doing a post for, you know, yeah. two years and say, hey, we need your help now, people. I, I, commu building communities is like building a campfire. It, it takes work getting it started, but once you get it started, you can add a log a lot easier. 
to it and keep it going and That's build beautiful. it up. That's beautiful. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can, but it takes that, that fire triangle in my community fire triangle is excitement, engagement, and education. And if you can keep those going, love it. get the most excited people, yeah. keep them engaged and, and, and update them with yeah. education. Yeah. And you do that, you can, you can grow a campfire pretty fast by throwing on five more logs if you want, or you can just, you know, maintain it a lot easier. It's just, that's how, yeah. that's how social media works. A lot of times you will have things that can kind of really spark and go viral or whatnot but it does take that initial heat that initial consistency to be able to have the moments that can really blow things up yeah. in, a, in a positive way yeah and i think you know as an organization that is trying to grow and increase our impact you kind of play it on different levels so you know on the one hand you've got these you know you've got your i don't know 6,000, 10,000, however many people you have kind of on, on social media that, you know, okay, they'll, they'll write an email for you, that they're, they're engaged enough, they care enough, they will do that. And then you have your smaller group of people that we like to call our super friends, um, who are very, very committed to the organization, and they want to show up and, and do work. And that was another thing that, that we discovered once we started doing events, people wanted to know when the next one is. And it's like, oh, oh, okay. Well, I guess now we, we, need, to, we, we need to have more events. And this happened, you know, we put together an event for um, National Public Lands Day, which also happens to be Bike Your Park Day. You'll notice there's, there's, there's a theme here. And it was a fantastic event. But again, afterwards, people wanted to know, okay, when's the next one? So it turned into a monthly Bike Mayaka for Good event where we would show up and have a bike ride where folks get to learn about Mayaka and then do a service project. And from that, you start getting people who show up over and over and over again, and they want to do more. So when we started having projects that the management was saying, hey, you know, we actually could use a small group of people that are reliable and dedicated and we trust to come in and do more, you have your army. You've got, like, you use the word ambassadors and, you know, I think that's a great word, but you've got those people who want to bump it up a notch. I want to learn more about, you know, because I've seen this name, you know, Friends of Mayak, right? You see Friends of Organizations, National Parks, to State Parks, to Regions, to Trail Systems. What are the responsibilities of a friends group? What what is and what isn't a responsibility? Where where does it kind of where's the line? Because because I think there might be a lot of people listening to this who are in other parts of the state saying, "Oh, that's awesome! I wish our park had something like that." And you know, yeah, could they start one? Yeah. Um. So we are a citizen support organization, and what that means is that. We actually have a, a legal agreement with with the park, um, and we are the only nonprofit organization that is allowed to fundraise specifically for Mayaka River State Park. So, for example, when you come to the park and you pay your dues at the gate, the money doesn't stay in the park. It goes to the Florida State Parks system so up to Tallahassee and they 
divvy up funds depending on, you know, which parks need it. Ideally. Ideally, yes, <laughs> ideally. That, that, that is how it works. And the power of a citizen support organization, and, and this is how Friends of Mayaka River started, the story goes Dr. Mary Jelks, who is the woman who started the Friends back in 1994, um, very, very passionate about the Mayaka River, passionate about Mayaka, passionate about native plants, spent a lot of time here, and she saw needs. She saw needs, you know, that the rangers had, you know, maybe the piece of equipment that they're using could be better or it's broken, and she wanted to help out, and that's a, someone just pissed off a great blue heron. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is that what that is? The yeah, water is yeah. right, yeah, right the past water, the those grasses. Right the river awesome. is right there. So, so, and the reason the, the the parks don't have the ability to do everything is just it's government funded. There's delays. There's long processes. There's sometimes there's needs that need more immediate attention than than that. And so, the yeah. friends group is is here to help fill those gaps and help advocate for the park. Help. Yeah. Get those resources. What What are some of the things then that you can do and what some of the things that you, you wouldn't do? As a citizen support organization, Friends of Mayaka River is able to raise funds specifically for Mayaka River State Park. So if there's a piece of equipment that park management needs as part of their strategic plan for the year or any kind of support, um, we can help fundraise for that. We can accept bequests on behalf of the park. Um, I think where thing has, things have shifted for our organization over the past couple of years, you know, when, when I first got involved was the realization that we could really grow our impact. Um, and that is, that's the power of having one person or, you know, hopefully maybe someday more than one person who that's all they do. You know, they are dedicated to helping build this organization and they're not volunteers. So this all came from, I think, a place of realizing that while Florida in general, including Mayaka River State Park, under threat. So there, there's a sense of urgency that I think maybe wasn't there. All you need to do is hop in your car and drive to the park from any which direction. And it seems like almost daily, you know, it's just the landscape is changing. I think we've all seen that statistic of, I don't know, how, how quickly, Mason, is it going to be that land in Florida is either protected or developed? Oh, yeah. We have, we have a clock winding down, yeah. ticking down. It's about a decade that we have to connect some of these really critical linkages and here, this county, uh, well, Sarasota and Manatee County, uh, it, it is happening probably at a, don't don't quote me, but probably at a faster rate than almost anywhere in the it state. Would seem I don't that think way. anywhere has surpassed us. Mm -hmm. There might be some parallel yeah. uh, rate of development, but we're, we're getting a prime example yeah. of habitat being forever changed. Yeah. And yeah, five minutes outside the park, you see it, yeah. which was probably once... Mayaka is so far out exactly there. Exactly right. There's nothing out there. Yeah. So you, th you think about what is required to keep these natural areas healthy. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and one of the most important things here at Mayaka River State Park is fire. Um, definitely when folks are buying these these houses there that it's not in the brochures by the way you know there's going to be smoke you know in the winter from from fires over at the park at best every two years most likely every year exactly from different areas and again Mm -hmm. the close if you're not living right on top of the park it's not a worry Mm -hmm. but if you are right on top of the park that is starting to restrict what the park can and cannot do um, you think about the wildlife. The roads are getting busier. There's more traffic. Mayaka River State Park is bisected by State Road 72. So what's the role of the Friends in helping folks who are moving here, whether they're from here or not, uh, fall in love with this place? Because you're not going to want to protect it until you love it. And you're not going to love it until you experience it. And you're not going to experience it unless you come out here. So how do you get more people out here? You, you just hit on my my favorite quote is from David Attenborough. And he basically said, nobody's going to protect what they don't care about. And nobody cares about what they've never experienced. So the trick is to get people to experience. Um, when we talk about Friends of Mayaka River, we talk about together protecting and sharing Mayaka's magic. And there's that tension between protecting and sharing. Because on the one hand, like you said, you want people to experience, to fall in love, just like I fell in love with this place, and see the value in it and want to protect it. But you also don't want to drive thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of more people to a park that really doesn't have the infrastructure to support it. So that is, a, that is where something like social media is extremely powerful because you can be helping people experience something magical without them having to actually come to the park. <laughs> you know, so, you know, videos and photos and storytelling. Um, we write articles in the newspaper, again, just helping people understand. Um, we started doing a road show where I go out into the community and I speak to, to clubs and um, faith groups and what have you to just, again, just, just share the stories, share the photos, and get people connect to it. Yeah. Because they may have not connected here, but they may have connected with a place somewhere. Because, yeah. you know, you and I have may have never been to the Himalayas or something. Mm-hmm. But if somebody was advocating for conservation in those regions, mm-hmm. we could understand because we have connected to a place before right. and know how important it is. So, right. yeah, that makes sense. You're, you're able to almost by proxy help people become supporters yeah. without, like you said, yeah. If everybody in Sarasota County decided to come to Mayaka this weekend, it'd be chaotic, destructive, and probably not productive to protecting this place. Exactly. And I I think what what makes friends groups in general, including Friends of Mayaka River, really special is that we connect to a particular place. So, you know, we, we love... Mayaka River State Park. We love Mayaka. There is something about this place that resonates with us. 
So everything what we do is about connecting people to this particular place. Of course, within, within the big picture of, of Wild Florida and our region and the connections, but I think where the power of friends groups lies is that ability to tap into this place is mine. I really, really love this particular place and I want to see it sustained and protected so that other people can experience it and get everything what I get from this place. You know, we'd, I, I talk to people, I experience it myself, but you know, it, it's interesting when you talk to people who share the same love for a particular tree that you, you see as your tree. It's like, no, 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 that's my tree too. I love that same tree too. Or people Let's who- Let's start a friends group. <laughs> right, you know, but, but there is, there's something special about this place, you know, then, and, and maybe other people connect the same way to a different place, but there's power, there's power to leveraging the love of a particular place to try to protect it which yeah. is basically what what we're doing. I, I think when you dive into the story of any protected place, that's what it took to get that place mm. protected. Yeah. The Grand Canyon, yeah. Smoky Mountain National yeah. Park, I believe, was heavily involved. Uh, the community was heavily involved in the protection of that yes. area. Dive into the history of Mayaka R- River State Park itself. It was a ranch. You know what well, I mean? I mean, that that's... Yeah. It took someone caring about it to yeah. say... This place I want to protect. There's a great story exactly about that. Um, A.B. Edwards, the first mayor of Sarasota. Uh, the story goes, as, as a young boy, he used to come to this area and camp by the river with buddies. They'd hunt, they'd fish. In the early 1930s, they came out here and they had a camping trip and they're hanging out and they're reflecting on the day that had passed and realizing they didn't see any wild turkey, they didn't see any deer. And they realized they had a problem because there were no wild turkey and there were no deer left in the area. They had been all hunted. So he he really wanted to get the place protected as a national state park, and he went to the national state park system and um, they basically said, yeah, you know, you don't, you don't have any mountains there. There's, there's no exciting, um, you know, I, 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 I don't know. There's nothing really sp- special enough to make that a national state park. And the Florida State Park System was just starting at that point. So he petitioned to get this place um, instated as a state park and they basically gave him a time limit to go out and get x amount of land to be able to um, be considered and you mentioned ranchers the the interesting thing is he was he was short x amount of acres to, to to hit his quota he got the last piece of land from the sons of Bertha Palmer, who had owned a ranch on these lands. Um, and that's how the park was formed. So yeah, one man, yeah. Someone yeah, action. someone taking action. Because again, if you think about this place, had it not been protected, there's no telling. Well, there would there be no telling. T- yeah, probably there is. be a development. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
we had Clay Henderson. I interviewed him recently, a, a historian, Florida conservation history, and uh, from academia to Stetson University. And he recently re- re- retired, and he says uh, his quote. One of his quotes is, "The draw of conservation is that one person can make a difference." You start diving into any place in Florida, it is usually it's it's the the community makes it happen, but the spark is usually one person. Uh, or a family or a couple or something, a brother, you know, a group of friends. And it just keeps going from there. Um, so tell us with the friends group, what are some of the things you've been able to do? I know it's been a short amount of time. We we did a, a, a biking and invasive species removal event with you about a month ago now, maybe a little more. And just your level of knowledge and understanding was just, it's like you were an interpreter of ranger already. I, mean, <laughs> I know this has been a short window for you, so yeah. you've learned so much so yeah. quickly. What are some of the projects you've been able to do so far? You, you may have already said this. What's something y'all have done that you're particularly proud of so far through the, through the friends group? When when we did the the first Bike Mayaka for Biodiversity event, which is, you know, that was a couple of years ago, you that's the event that you participated in. Um, immediately afterwards, folks wanted to know what's next. And obviously our partners at the park don't have, don't have the, um, the capacity to be able to do a program every single month. Yeah. But I figured that's something that we could do. Um, they're so swamped. They're busy. They're, they're swamped. They're, they're busy. The place. Exactly. And so we just committed. We're going to do this monthly program, and it's going to be people signing up and showing up. And we're going to take a bike ride in a different area in the park each time and learn something different each time and then do a service project and then we're going to have lunch together and the lunch was really important because it's a great way to build community when you're sitting and you're eating and you're kind of debriefing from the event so that was something that was really important to do that's been going on for a couple of years now i'm really really proud about it because through that We've really built a community of committed members of the organization. But the, these, are the, these are the folks who are excited to do more and who you, you never run out of invasives <laughs> in wild Florida. But That's right. So, so the, the exciting thing about that project is that it's helped us build a community of really, really dedicated folks who want to do more and have the vision of ideas. You know, people who come and, you know, they they come up with ideas of things that we could do and programming that we can do. And it's been allowing us to to really dream bigger Mm -hmm. with the hopes of accomplishing more. So one thing that I'm really excited about for the coming year is I'd mentioned one of the projects that I'm really excited about for the coming year that we're going to be working on um, is going to help folks feel more comfortable and safe to explore the backcountry. Uh, and that is 
funnily enough, how I first got involved with Friends of Mayaka River was going out and exploring the backcountry and um, getting lost <laughs> a bunch of times. And I know that not all those who wander are lost, but I was definitely lost a bunch of times. And yeah, it can be exhilarating to then find your way out. But, you know, for some folks, getting lost is very stressful and it could actually be a barrier that stops them from wanting to go somewhere. Totally. If, yeah, totally. they don't feel empowered yeah. to go out and explore. So the park has been wanting for many, many, many years now to mark the the junctions in the backcountry, which is at Mayaka quite extensive. It's actually most of the park. You kind of have the, um, you know, you've got the seven mile paved road that cuts through the park, but then most of it is just backcountry. And there's all these service roads that, you know, you, you've probably been out there and they're great for hiking and they're great for biking and there's primitive campgrounds. And I mean, you can go out there yeah. and it is... It's wild. It's wild. It's amazing. And the Florida Dry Prairie is out there, which is a globally imperiled ecosystem that is magnificent so it's something you want people to experience but you also don't want them to go out there and have a bad experience get lost get lost <clears throat> get frustrated take resources to recover them exactly bad press <laughs> yeah yep 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 so so you identified this need Yep. So identified this need and identified the opportunity to get some funds to help support all of the, you know, the, the all of the supplies, what you would need to do a really quite massive project like that. You know, this isn't just popping up a bunch of signs. We're talking about over 200 junctions. We're talking about um, trailhead kiosks for wayfinding so that, you know, before people go back out there, there's actually some information for them. Uh, education for them and an invitation you know this is this is for you to come out here and explore um, some some folks without that invitation they're not gonna go off the paved road um, and then again because we have been building community and and building this group of folks that can help us do things I knew we also had the people who could do the work because again, sometimes sometimes all you need is to bring in the money and then you buy the thing. But sometimes you need to bring in the money and then you need the people who are gonna do the thing. So yeah, you know, really thankful to, can I give a shout out to Athletic Brewing? Sure, this will be out. Yeah, no, so, you know, we, we applied for Two for the Trails grant, which is an amazing grant program that your company, Athletic Brewing, um, offers to organizations such as ours that are looking to improve accessibility to natural spaces. And we're absolutely thrilled that we got a grant. So now That's we're awesome. going to galvanize the forces and go out there and get some trail markers down. That's exciting. You can count me in for getting my hands dirty out there in the backcountry of Mayaka River State Park to put those signs in and be on the lookout for opportunities that you can get involved. Go to athleticbrewing.com to learn more. And if you want to help support Two for the Trails by purchasing our non-alcoholic brews, also go to athleticbrewing.com. 
can buy us there or find us on store shelves near you.